Mamma mia, welcome to another episode of Anime Gary Knows Everything, a show where I'm Italian. Um, it's a show about art and its many forms. We get to the root of it, <laughs> you know, the root of art. Um, and I talked to a bunch of fun people. This week I'm joined by the wonderful Nathan Hershout. Um, someone I had not previously spoken to. I'm just meeting them for this. And he's a super cool dude. I saw a show he produced that my friend Aaron Choate was in. Aaron Choate, as we all know, famous for the Kate Bush Weathering Heights episode. And just in general, being everything in the world to me. Such a talent. Aaron, Aaron, I love you so much. If you're listening, text me, call me. Hey. Anyway, um, so Aaron was in a show that Nathan organized, and it was super interesting. It was basically um, improv-based. There were a bunch of tasks um, set aside, kind of drawn out of a hat, and Nathan would... It was a Zoom show, too, and, you know, it's hard to make a compelling Zoom show, but they did it. Um, Nathan would pull out these tasks, pull certain people into the zoom to do it and they'd have like a minute or 30 seconds or whatever to work through these improv tasks um in whatever way they saw necessary or felt inspired to do at that moment i feel like i'm underselling it it was really fun and i super enjoyed it um so then through that i said this guy seems cool i talked to aaron and Aaron was like nathan's cool so here we are anyway <laughs> so nathan and i get into his, his little origin story, him growing up dancing, the competition world, how that was kind of taken to the extreme, the transition to college, he went to Juilliard, um, just how, and just his, how art has changed throughout his life, his spiritual journey, um, yeah, and just how all of that makes him into the artist and creator, collaborator, that he is today. He's a super interesting guy. I could talk to him for for forever. Um, give it a listen. I feel like I seem nervous in this one, and that's because I am, and it's okay to be nervous. I left it all in because <laughs> it's honest and it's true. And we had fun. He was a blast to talk to. Nathan Hershout. You seem really cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I basically, I know you exist now because my friend Aaron was in uh, one of your recent shows, and then I saw that, and I really loved it. I loved your whole kind of presentation introducing, like, what Hive is at the beginning, and I was like, this, this seems like a cool one. <laughs> yeah, Hive is... A dream for sure. <laughs> yeah, I have plenty I want to ask about that. I guess let's start at the beginning. I know like a pinch about your, your origin story. Um, I read the like interview article thing you did recently. I forget who it was with, but I read that. And then Aaron showed me um, a like, dance video you did from last March. You're like sitting outside with the narration, but 
you tell me your life. <laughs> what, are, what are your dance art origins? Yeah, yes. doing competitive dance <laughs> and was very driven and ambitious and wanting to succeed in every way that I knew how. Um, and then I kind of got to a certain point with that where, you know, the nationals competition um, and I got third, right? <laughs> it, it never kind of happened. The dream never kind of came through. And so that kind of was a blessing in disguise. Couldn't really see that at the time. But then I went to Juilliard, which was not a bad second option. I wanted to kind of stay in the convention circuit at the time, but yeah, went to Juilliard. Um, and then after my first year at school is when I kind of hit a rock bottom, um, just kind of really unsure about who I was and um, where I fit in inside of this new uh, world of New York City and all of these stars in one location. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot. I remember first going to the school and, you know, coming in with like a chip on my shoulder, feeling good about who I was, you know, coming from like high competitive dance, international level, and just feeling squandered by mm -hmm. the largeness of people's personalities and really having to face that head on, but not wanting to. So then going to drinking and, you know, doing all of the things that we have um, thought that college is, which is like, you know, <laughs> uh, basically trashing your body and mind. It doesn't really make sense, but, um, you know. And um, so I did that and, and found myself in a dark place, um, but then went to a summer intensive called San Francisco Conservatory of Dance and um, just kind of was, was opened to what art even is. And uh, really before that, I, I didn't understand art. I, I had no exposure to it. My, my exposure was like, you dance to be liked and there's a good and a bad, and you know, you're always trying to be the best. So it just opened my mind to, you know, a variant of perspectives and worlds and atmospheres and textures um, and creative expressions. And it got me really excited. It was like a fresh wind of life. And then from there, kind of realizing that reality is not what I had been told and that Nathan Hirschout, this kind of identity that I had been carrying around was up to my choosing. Um, and so started meditating and kind of finding a spiritual path and practice and then was led to my teacher, Guru Jagat, and the lineage of Kundalini Yoga, which has been um, really my uh, lifeline to expanding my consciousness and opening up a vaster realm of possibilities for the way in which I want to live my life. Um, letting my life come from I want to rather than this is what I've been told it should look like. Mm -hmm. And that's very liberating and it's very empowering. And then um, graduated school, but not really because I graduated in COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I, I actually was in Egypt uh, on a spiritual quest um, and then the COVID lockdown happened. We luckily got out of Egypt the day before everything mm -hmm. happened. 
and came back and immediately knew that I wanted to start doing creative coaching. I wanted to start working with other people that were maybe in a similar place that I found myself in like a couple years prior and help them open up their creative worlds and mm -hmm. help them realize that whatever it is they want to do, they very well can. Um, and I, I use this term a lot, which I like, and it's it's the pragmatics and the poetics because mm -hmm. it's both, right? Like um, I'm not big on the kind of uh, starving artist mentality. I do believe that we can make money and we can be extremely prosperous. I mean, we're fucking servants of the great creative force. Like that mm -hmm. is a richness beyond what other people get to experience. And so therefore money should reflect that. Um, so the pragmatics of all of that stuff and then the poetics of how do I find who I really am outside of maybe what the kind of um, preferences of the institution that I went to were and how do I open that up for myself and um, you know we kind of found I, I was working with a lot of younger people in the beginning a lot of people who were kind of again similar coming out of institution or had been out of institution for a couple years or were still in institutions and just just saying that it's like you can be in a dance program or you can be in an art program but you can come out and and use that information to do something different if you mm -hmm. so choose you know so uh, opening up the kind of spectrum of possibility for how people choose to uh, make a life in which they are feeling um, valued um, and are getting money and are feeling like they're um, authentically pursuing something that is resonant to them. And so just kind of have continued to do that and build um, Hive along parallel with that and all sorts of other things that we can get into. Amazing. You touched on so many wonderful things that we'll, we'll go back through. Um, just listening to you talk, I am seeing um, that piece of yours I watched. I felt very like connected to a lot of the things you were saying. I also grew up very competitive. My circuit was like the Dance Masters of America one, um, and I wanted to have to be perfect. I had a very narrow idea of what dance was, what art could be. I was like, I want to win, and to win, I have to do a perfect quad and kill it or that's it um but then I ended up winning the national competition so I don't think I, I learned the lesson as soon enough um because I just like put my 17 year old ass into like choreographing a solo specifically engineered to win this specific competition and then it worked and I was like well no lessons learned here um but then going to college and expanding and realizing like my narrowed idea of what technique was Ugh, there's so much more and I don't even all the things I really cared about I I don't care about as much anymore and that process of self-discovery and growing and changing and identifying oneself based on what you want not what you thought you used to want what, other, what you think other people want you to want yeah. yeah. That's what technique is. Technique is the ability to adapt to any situation yeah. you're in. 
And the quicker and more efficiently and effectively we can do that adaptation, um, you know, that's what yoga is. And essentially yogis have practiced for thousands of years is how do I put myself in a posture, in an uncomfortable posture? And how does my system naturally adapt to be able to sustain, maintain, and then thrive inside of that posture? And I think we've had to adapt a lot this year. Um, it's been a it's been a year of adaptation in many kind of nuanced ways in which I don't think any of us were predicting, but with that comes a lot of opportunity. We all know change brings transformation. That's a time of, of positive or negative growth. So cool that you have, um, <laughs> have taken that in a positive direction and have used that change and those kind of new winds of realization and understanding and desire for yourself to find something that is going to bring more benefit to you and other people. Yeah. And even just learning, like still very institutional, even just learning like gram technique. I was like, whoa, we can do this. I'm allowed to move my torso. Like even that seemed revolutionary. And then just keep building on that has been amazing. It continues to be really exciting. So you said uh, your early training pre-college was like very intense. What, what, what did you consider success at that time? Just like winning? Yeah, I think winning. Mm -hmm. I think also a certain level of fame and attention. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, recognition from kind of the, the mentors and high teachers at the time. You know, and I, I do feel like you go through this process with kind of your upbringing and with your um, whatever kind of your story is where you kind of go through a phase where you start to resent that and rebel against it. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a natural part of it. And, and then finally, there comes to be kind of an integration and a balance inside of it where it's like, I also recognize now that like a certain level of fame can mean success. And I also recognize now that, you know, it, it's not so black and white um, yeah. and it's not so right and wrong. Um, and there's now kind of just, there's, there's really no judgment to anyone who is still in that world or, or doing that. It, it, that's a life that brings value and brings, um, benefit to it brought benefit to me and I believe it can bring benefit to other people um, so everyone really gets to make their own choices it's just this has been my process of of growth and understanding and you know I do think it's important in whatever world you're in to know that there are many worlds out there and many perspectives and to be constantly feeding ourselves those yeah I constantly find myself swinging from extreme black and white either or thinking and I've noticed in myself and I think this is a common experience when you want to make a change in your life you do a hard overcorrect you hang out there for a while and then you ease back you find the middle ground you say oh I didn't hate the thing before and I don't hate what I'm doing now but neither of those are really true anymore yeah, yeah. so what was your early training just like technique classes out the wazoo just like ballet nine hours a day solo for five years like what did that look like and yeah 
<laughs> I was one who was very self-taught and I took a lot of responsibility to learn for myself. So I would do a lot of um, practice in my house of like putting my pirouettes in slow motion and stretching for two hours. Um, because up until I moved to Arizona when I was 15, I was really on my own for my training quite a bit. Uh -huh. There wasn't videos that were really um, representing the depth of training that I was looking for. So I've always kind of been a, a hermit and love to work. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that that's really where a lot of my training was. But as, as far as what it looked like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was technique classes and some ballet and you know, there was a lot of people who were like, you should be a ballet dancer, you have the facility to do that. But I just was too creative. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't. Uh, it's it's a certain kind of archetype that does ballet and, and moves forward in that industry. And my body was right for it, but my personality wasn't. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like it's yeah. a pickle I've also found myself in because my whole life I've gotten like, oh, you're like the ballet girl. And I'm like, okay if you say so but that's very that's very limiting and then continuing to grow and discovering and being like I don't know if that would really satisfy me like I'm interested in it and I'm finding new ways to invest in ballet that can have more like depth and uh, just a deeper experience for myself but yeah it's interesting to push back against what you've been told you're supposed to be doing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just want the best for you right? mm -hmm. that you have potential in that arena and and they just want you to be successful and and all that stuff so you know I, I I hold a space of compassion and love for the people that told me that as well because it's like you I can see that like you saw potential there and but of course I wanted to make things difficult for myself and <laughs> that I did you know mm -hmm. and uh, so so everyone's just doing their best and and they're just giving information from the point of view in which they have and when you understand that then you kind of lose the expectation that someone is supposed to give you information from a point of view in which they do not have obtained for themselves yeah. um, and you can kind of let go of that expectation mm -hmm. yeah are you uh, an Eckhart Tolle kid? Do you read his work? I don't read a lot of Eckhart Tolle, mm -hmm. but I know who he is and I know yeah. some of the principles behind it. Yeah, I know um, you mentioned Ram Dass in that piece, who I'm like soft, a soft familiar with, haven't super read the stuff, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of overlap there. And I, I don't know, I hear that in, <laughs> you're speaking, it feels like the lessons are sinking in, they're being put into practice, which is something I think we're all working on. I That's definitely been a big journey over the past year for me, at least. So you said going to college, you showed up and you were like, oh, I'm not the best, what the hell? What? I guess, how did that feel? And it seems like things didn't go super well for a while. Um, please tell me a little bit about that and then what that turning point was. 
yeah, I mean, it, it's like you you come from a small pond and you are the biggest fish in that pond. And then you move to an ocean and you realize that you're a small fish. This is a huge opportunity. Um, it's, it's an opportunity for beginner's mind, um, which is essentially that you're always a beginner and um, it puts you into the position of being a beginner, which is the most powerful position. The beginner is the smartest one in the room um, because they're the most open to receive the most information. So I definitely came in like that, but because of my achievement in that other world, I was, um, I was not used to being a beginner. And so that position was very humbling in a lot of ways. And it was, uh, it was hard, it was hard. It was just challenging for me at the time to understand that, especially because no one had told me in the competition scene no one had told me that there's a big world out there in which you are not the cream of the crop in. I feel like that was something that was mentioned and I was like, okay, we'll see about that. And then you show up and you're like, oh, oh, that was true. Oh no, now what? Right, exactly. Um, so I think I was still looking for the validation of my greatness. And um, I found that in kind of a, a toxic community of people in which we were kind of all just um, all validating each other, but kind of not in a healthy way. Um, you know, it was a big kind of melting pot of like insecurity and, and, and fake confidence. Uh -huh. So what does that toxic validation look like? How is that functioning? Yeah, I think it's just kind of the, it's the kind of propping up of each other constantly. And, and in a way in which it's like, you're propping someone up based on what is not actually there, right? I'm big mm -hmm. on propping up based on what they have achieved or what they have come to uh, learn or understand but the this kind of it, it was like um, stilettos made of dust or something you know it was it was um, it, it, we were just all really disillusioned um, from reality mm -hmm. and the drugs of course were a part of that disillusionment and um, so when you're not kind of centered in something that is real, that's a toxic um, experience. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of non-reality, that, that uh, experience of believing something to be real that isn't, it's, it makes you crazy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the kind of constant chatter of your mind of you're good enough, you're not good enough, you have this insecurity and that insecurity. And, you know, I, it's hard for me to even remember now because so much of it I have worked through and is just not even present in my uh -huh. life anymore. But the, but the chatter of the subconscious mind and all of the programs and the ways in which it would kind of um, berate itself, it, it's yeah. just a painful experience and it's not real, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of that matter, none of that has anything to do with who you actually are. It's all based on facade this kind of delusion meant um and so finally that pain gets intense enough to the point where i'm so sorry <laughs> don't worry about it um you know pain 
pain is a very beautiful thing because it wakes us up. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people experience this with some kind of inner or outer transformation is, you know, they hit whatever rock bottom is, they go to the dark night of the soul is another way that it's put. And that kind of darkness, that, that um, disturbing nature of themselves actually brings them to then start their quest to look for the light, uh, mm -hmm. look for something that is real. Um, so that was really my experience with it. Yeah, that must have been exhausting. Uh showing up with so much like self-criticism and ego and like pain and having to deal with that every day and then to be like drinking and doing drugs and all that like that's how how'd you manage that it seems really hard well i, I mean i didn't manage yeah <laughs> the lack of management led to the um having to change it yeah hmm. So how did you get into this spiritual practice? Was that happening? Is this where this starts? Yeah, right. uh -huh. yeah exactly. Um, so my friend who was at this uh, summer intensive that I had gone to the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, uh, he, <laughs> I mean, uh, the guy just looked like he was like shitting rainbows and like fucking barfing unicorns. It was just like, I've never seen someone so happy. Uh -huh. And you know, my jealous ass was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> and, like I'm meditating. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew what meditation was. And, you know, my dad was into all this stuff and, I was kind of like, okay, you know, maybe I'll give that a shot. And, and so I tried it and I noticed that I liked it a lot. Um, it felt like it was what I needed. And then I started studying spiritual teachers like Ram Dass and like um, Chogam Trumka Rinpoche and like uh, Yogi Bhajan and all these different spiritual teachers, which then gave me some kind of reference point of truth in mm -hmm. relation to all of the kind of uh, illusion that I had been experiencing. And that reference point uh, was so clarifying and um, delicious and ecstatic and blissful. And um, it was something that I in innately felt like I desired. And so I ran after it as fast as I could and left all of the shit behind and, um, you know, ran like the winds for that thing that I knew was like, oh, this is the reason why I am here. Um, this, you know, we never ask the bigger questions. What are we doing here? What is the nature of reality? Um, you know, are there other beings who are in this galactic space? How do we commute? You know, there's so much that we just don't ask. And there's a lot of reasons why and a lot of conditioning that keeps us down for a lot of agendas. Um, it's easier to control stupid people than it is to control intelligent people who think for themselves. And um, so if you dumb them down by simplifying a narrative and by not making them ask big questions, then they don't have to think for themselves. You can feed them thoughts. Um, this is the shit that we're living in. These are the times that we're living in right now. Um, and this is also that that pain of living in this um, 
experience uh, this lack of empowerment, that, that experience, that's also what is waking a lot of people up to um, realize that uh, there's a bigger purpose maybe for their, um, them being placed on this giant floating rock. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, then it started the, the spiritual practice and, you know, I was still smoking weed and I was still, um, I didn't have a lineage. I didn't have a, 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 you know, a lineage is a, it's like where you plug your power cord into, you know, that's where you get power is from mm -hmm. a, a lineage and a tradition and um, a practice that has been uh, cultivated over thousands and thousands of years and has produced many enlightened beings that's a lineage mm -hmm. um and if you're kind of just spiritual tourism and going around and you know i'll take that and i'll take this there's a lack of commitment and there's a lack of ability to really actually plug into something that is going to feed you in the way that i was personally looking for um mm -hmm. so i found i with the same guy he was like have you ever tried kundalini yoga i was like mm, no not really into like breathing uh -huh. techniques um, because that's what I thought it was uh -huh. and um, then tried it and felt so high naturally mm -hmm. I felt like what I did when I was smoking but there was no come down and I was after the high at that time I was after the ecstasy I wanted to feel like life was bigger than the pain in which I had previously experienced and so Kundalini Yoga brought me that, but it brought me that through balancing my glandular system, through you know secreting the right chemicals in my brain, through clarifying and reoxygenizing my blood. Like it, it brought it through balancing the system uh, in and the biochemicals of the system. And that for me, I, I, I didn't know that was possible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, you know, found this teacher who I just felt immediately very deeply attracted to and felt, you know, this is not the first lifetime in which we had been working together. There's a very deep, soulful connection to this person. You know, just when you meet someone and you're like, this isn't the first time we've met before. There's something deeper here. And I felt that right away. And, you know, then it's now been three and a half years since that point. And, um, I have stayed by her side and under her wing and and learned from her so so deeply and so profoundly and I feel so much uh, gratitude and and reverence towards her and her service and the whole lineage of Kundalini Yoga and everything all of the gifts um, known and unknown that it has brought to me and it has allowed me um, what what it has opened in me and what it has allowed me to be able to do is just uh, profound. Mm -hmm. How did you two find each other? I found her on the internet through kind mm -hmm. of like a yoga streaming service and she was the first class I ever took. Uh huh? Wow. Yeah. I, I was gonna say what luck, but you know, maybe not, maybe yeah, it's, it's more it's, than that. Yeah, I mean, when I was 14, my dad gave me a book called The Autobiography of a Yogi um, with, just an amazing documentation of this yogi who was, you know, living in 1800s India and has a beautiful documentation of him meeting his teacher. And from that moment on, I was like, I really hope that I find a teacher 
in this life. I really hope that I find someone who can um, guide me to, a, to, to the ecstatic peaks of this existence. Mm-hmm. And um, that I did. So I was very, very lucky and, and I hold that very dear and I, I don't take it lightly at all. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about uh, Kundalini Yoga. It's not a practice I'm familiar with, uh, not that I, I don't do yoga all the time, but when I do, it's usually some vinyasa uh, variant. I think I've done, uh, I got a, a pinch of kundalini or some similar kind of uh, intense breathing practice. I tried it for like five minutes. I thought I was going to pass out and I said, not for me. And I put it away. So yeah. what is it? <laughs> it it's um, kundalini came from Hatha. Um, which is maybe one that you are familiar with. Hatha is just kind of like the, the, the basic poses. Um, and it was a branch from that. And um, it involves uh, breathing techniques. It involves mantra. It involves movement. And, and, um, and I'm missing one of the wheels here. Um, but yeah, there's kind of, it, it, it's, it's a body-mind technology that, optimizes the human system and allows you to be functioning at a very high level, mm-hmm. essentially. So what's what's going on with the breath? I'm used to, I guess usually when I hear about breath and being with it, focusing on it, it's either in like a, a deep breath while you're meditating in like a vinyasa, uh, it's like, okay, on this pose, you're going to inhale. And on this one, you're going to exhale. It seems like there's a, a different relationship. Yeah. I mean, it, we in the West have a very limited understanding of what yoga is. Yeah. And different, uh, techniques in yoga, different breathing technologies have been in every system of yoga and meditation. But basically, it's gotten uh, whitewashed when it came to the West and we're like, well, I can only do my long, deep breathing and my, you know, vinyasa flow. And that's what yoga is. It's like, that's mm-hmm. not what yoga is. Yoga, it, look at any pictures of, of deep yogic practitioners and they have their tongue sticking out and they're doing some, you know, crazy panting breathing or, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have, um, you know, just cr- the crazy shit. I mean, men who have taken an oath and um, have their arm up in the air for 40 years or something. Um, so y- yoga means union and it means union with you and all things. And it's the practice of coming into that union. And I just think we need to like open our minds a little bit to like what, just like our creative education, what we have been taught is a very limited scope of what yoga is. And if you actually have an experience with some of these advanced technologies and some of these maybe um, fringe parts of yoga, uh, you'll find that it's very powerful and that it works. So I do Kundalini yoga because it works and because it works faster than vinyasa or any other kind of yoga that I've tried. And I've got shit to do. So I need (laughs) something that works and works quickly. Yeah, no, I think just about what I have gotten out of the yoga I've done, which is super limited in scope, I think I've always had like a white American 
like middle upper class teacher. And that is, you know, that adds to it too. But just thinking like, even with all those limitations, there's still so much to give in and receive. Um, it makes me very interested in like exploring further and trying to challenge uh, like the perfectionism I bring into everything I do. Cause I show up to a yoga class and I say, okay, I'm going to win this yoga class. And I know that's not the thing, but I'm like, but I think I can win it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it seems like it's um, probably easier to slip into that very uh, achievement centered like winning ideology in this very westernized practice version of it yeah and most as you go to and this is why so many people hate yoga is you just feel like you're in a competition with the teacher you know it's mm -hmm. like you know you know, I can do this pose and, you know, go into a hand headstand, like if you can, otherwise just lie down or whatever, you know, <laughs> and then all the is coming around and touching your body and just like, there, there, there's so much misunderstanding of, of what this technology is and what it's used for. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my teacher and our lineage, it's, it's a householder lineage. And so anyone with any body type, any you know um cast or creed can do this and can get something from it and the point is that it's supposed to make you feel better not that you're supposed to be the most flexible in the uh -huh. room or yeah there's, there's certainly times where I come away from a yoga class a dance class anything like that and I'm like oh you you didn't win this one. Like that girl in the Lululemon, like matching bra and leggings, you know, she won this one. She won this round. And, I'm, and that's, that's so sad. <laughs> it's amazing. The competitive spirit is something that only certain people are born with. Not everyone has that. And it's not really something you can learn. It's something that you, if you were, or if you were competitive from an early age, you have that, which you do have. Oh, I do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you'd absolutely do. And so do I. But the thing is, is that it needs to be flipped inward. You have to compete with yourself because that's the only person you're competing with. If you're competing mm -hmm. with other people, you're going to damage yourself and others. And and that, you know, compete, compare, end up confused. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to compete with yourself. And, and so you can use that energy and use that ambition to serve you because you're not really going to get rid of it. I mean, I haven't gotten rid of it, but I'm just not competing with anyone else. I'm like, how am I going to show up to do better than what I did yesterday? How am I going to teach that class better? How am I going to handle more of my life better? How am I going to be a better leader? How am I going to be more compassionate? How am I going to be more real? And that competition with myself, that's very um, intense. And I, I'm an, an intense competitor with myself. And I make up games and stories that will push myself better um you know i mean this is the the michael jordan documentary 
which is amazing, you would love it if you haven't watched it, um, is he would make up stories in his head of, oh, that person said, you know, whatever, I can't shoot a ball in a basket to save my life. That person never said that. He just made that up to shoot the ball better. Um, that that's a power. I mean, this is a power that you have and, and it can be used. Um, but it, you definitely have to kind of, you know, hold on to the reins of it because it, it's, it's easy for it to kind of, um, move you more into a comparison and a judgment and that, that can easily get introverted and then just be crippling. Have you found yourself and, throughout the years? No, keep going. No, no worries. Okay. <laughs> um, have you found yourself throughout the years um, adapting what that competition against yourself looks like? What um, what improvement looks like? What success looks like for yourself? Adapting it? Yeah, because I know, like, for me, uh, growing up, success was, you know, having more turnout, whatever, as opposed to leaving the class a better version of myself, having learned something. Yeah, I think it's like, what is your motive um, mm -hmm. in a big way? Uh, my motive now is, uh, is to achieve a certain connection to consciousness. Mm. And that's what I'm competing with myself for. And uh -huh. the competitive energy is being used to basically bypass my own kind of uh, self-doubt and limiting beliefs. It's being used to pierce through the doubt and confusion and fear and really open up a deep space of reality, a deep space of feeling and experiencing reality. Mm -hmm. And that, that for me is, um, is my priority and is my drive and is my motive. So I think it's just about understand, like that has always been my motive. Mm -hmm. It always has, but I had to remember it. I had to remember that that was much more important to me than any kind of um, uh, winning of competition or kind of smaller, th those things are very small compared mm -hmm. to the greatness that you can achieve. Um, and the greatness that you can achieve is if you're connected deeply to consciousness and to awareness, you can, you know, be a bodhisattva, which is you are um, dedicated to serving and the benefit of all sentient beings. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really the motive here. So like, let's just not fuck around in this other kind of landscape and territory because it's a waste of time and time is precious. It goes by. And if you've had someone in your life that has died, you know that. Um, and you know, it's not something to fuck around with. And this whole idea of I'm gonna, you know, tune out and just, you know, waste my life in my twenties, it's, it's mind control. That shit is, it's ridiculous. And it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to decide that and we have to make that claim for ourselves. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very easy to get caught up in those small external goals because I think they're what are, they're what are pushed upon us from an early age, these very clear, finite, tangible ideas. And so we cling to that as opposed to, you know, actually taking a look in and saying, what do I actually want? What is this really giving to me? Yeah, what is this really? Yeah. 
And, and what am I actually here to experience and have an achievement of? Um, and then you start to realize that it's like, it's definitely not to win like a national dance competition. Now, those things are great and they're important. I'm not about getting out of the three-dimensional and um, just being, you know, love and light and whatever. I mean, you can tell I'm not a love and light kind of person. I'm a, I'm a make sure happen kind of person so I love goals I mm -hmm. love uh, achievements I love um, winning uh, in a lot of ways but and I also love when other people win um, and I think we can all win mm -hmm. um, but I realize that those goals are um, in a lot of ways they're just representing a larger path that is happening if I well, this is this is kind of hard to say. The goals are great. Keep going after the goals, but know that simultaneously there's also a deeper experience that needs to be cultivated um, by you. And the goals are not separate from that experience. Mm -hmm. the, the, the goals can be totally integrated into that experience. You can live a normal householder life. You don't need to be a monk. You don't need to go into a cave. You can still do your dance competitions. You can still do whatever the fuck you want, but you know that, that ultimately all of that is, is just a spiritual practice and spiritual training for you to get stronger. And, and the polarity of all those things are just there to, you know, test you and uh, remind you of uh, the kind of consciousness that the infinite that lies um, behind all that. Mm -hmm. So you have your, your low low, your like awakening beginning of the spiritual journey. How do you take that back to Juilliard, back to college? How do you go back so differently? And what was the reaction like from those around you? I mean, this is the toughest thing is it's mm -hmm. easy to talk this stuff and it's much hard to apply it amongst yeah. a community or a uh, organization that is not um, prioritizing those values that is not openly um, directing themselves towards that so I had to get really strong and I had to um, be very determined and, and I had to find new friends um, which had similar values and um, I had to really rely on them and I had to deepen my personal practice, you know, every day you're practicing, you're meditating, doing yoga, you have to, you clean your body, you got to clean your mind. That's how this shit works or else your mind's dirty and no one likes a dirty mind. Um, it's gross and stinky and it pollutes environments. And it's one of the big issues we have, you know, all the liberals love to just, you know, blame uh, the Republicans for climate change. It's like, it will also your thoughts and your mind and your own kind of negativity and self-hatred is polluting our environments and you have to deal with that. And, and meditation is the way that you deal with that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, taking it into those experiences, you just have to be even more dedicated in, um, in, uh, um, when you're kind of facing that, uh, let's say that gravity well um, of that 
school and um you know the school is great and it changed a lot while i was there but there's definitely a a mindset that is geared towards complaining um mm -hmm. and towards not appreciating life mm -hmm. and that's not really helpful and it's not really serving anyone but it's easy to get caught in that yeah. um so you have to be practicing actively to make sure that you're not staying in that current and it takes a strong will and not everyone does it you know some people left um because they wanted a different experience and and it is an external thing sometimes sometimes you do have to leave and you have to go somewhere else and other times you i didn't you know i could stay in it and and i was lucky to have a teacher and a, a community outside of school in which I could um, make these priorities be at the forefront of my experience. Yeah. Did you ever feel any um, any pressure from people outside yourself, whether it be like faculty or just people you're dancing with, that? Um, you were challenging their idea of what you should be? Did you get any pushback like that? Oh, yeah. I was rebellious. I, I loved the system. I loved to challenge authority. Um, that one, that was, <laughs> I was, I was a little pest and fucking annoying. <laughs> You know, going back, I probably would have done that a little differently. Um, I probably would have been more uh, fluid in it. But, you know, the rebels are the ones who create a revolution. So, you know, my opinion is the ones who think differently and challenge um, are the ones who ultimately create deep change. How did your idea of dance and art and creation shift during this time? Um, I realized that everyone has an incredible, creative, unique jewel inside of them. That it's not that some people are creative geniuses and are authentic and other people are not. Uh, that's simply just stating that they've been able to find that inside of themselves. And so then I got really passionate about, well, how can I help bring that out of other people? Uh, how can I see the jewel in them and dig at the dirt and the crevices that are around it in order to bring out that jewel and in order to help guide them to that beauty that is there? Mm -hmm. It seems like you're very interested in interdisciplinary work. Has that been a constant through your life or was that something that appeared? Well, disciplines aren't real. Uh -huh. um, that's a made up categorization. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in disciplines. I believe that we can just express ourselves through a multitude of perspectives and lenses and um, flows. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we let go of disciplines, we open up possibility. Mm. Sneaky, you got me. 
Now, I think that we need constraints in the creative process. I think we need boundaries that allow our creative energy to bounce within. Otherwise, we get lost and confused and we never actually get anything done. So every project you create has to define its materials that it's going to use, whether that mean body or whether that mean paint, whether that mean paint and a body. So I believe projects have certain materials mm -hmm. that they are made up of. But I don't think that we need to limit ourselves to certain disciplines. Mm -hmm. Just follow what excites you and follow the lead of the project mm -hmm. and explore the material. Yeah, I'm, I found it very freeing recently to realize uh, all the constraints I was putting on myself, specifically artistically, like, oh no, you're a dancer, that's what you do. You don't, you can't also, like, I can't hold multiple things other than that. Like, if I'm holding a pen and I like, da -da -da, you know, I'm an artist, that was a drawing, that was something. Uh, and just being open to that and realizing I was the one putting those boundaries on myself and I didn't have to, just by the act of doing and opening myself up to it, I could be it and that was valid. Even if I didn't have, you know, the 20 years training that I had in the thing I'm most confident in. Absolutely. And I think what we'll find is as we go along the road of our career, we will be drawn to certain materials. Mm -hmm. And those materials will be defined into a discipline. And, but I really like to tell young people that just follow the materials that you're interested in working in and that excite you. Mm -hmm. And research those deeply and get to know them through all aspects. And then go to your next project and see, is it the same materials or is it different? Mm -hmm. But our artistic careers and the creative bricks that make them, they do have a way of following each other and creating a sequence that can be tracked and can be categorized. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, uh, you've gotten into creative coaching. I feel like I'm getting a taste of that now, but can you, I guess, tell me a little more about that? Yeah, essentially, I realized that I had, and I think we all have, an intuitive gift of being able to look at someone and um, help them draw out their authentic, creative self in a way in, that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's many aspects to that. Um, there's the poetics and the pragmatics. Mm -hmm. And I work um, in both because I think both are really essential. You know, when we're going to make a project, like, you know, I, I honestly, I don't even know what other people do anymore. I'm just like doing what I do. 
Um, but what I do is it's, it, you have to, there's a process of exploration and, and then composition and then refinement. And um, there's also a process of pragmatics in outlining and budgeting and finding um, opportunities that meet your needs and lead you in a direction in which you're wanting to go. Um, and all these things are important to consider when we're trying to make a career that is a, a career as an artist, um, because it's no longer, I'm just gonna, you know, fuck around in a studio. Mm -hmm. It's now like what I do in that studio determines how I pay my rent. Mm -hmm. And what I do in that studio will determine what my creative legacy is that I will leave on this earth. And those things are both really important. So you start to care a little bit deeper about that creative journey and that process in both the poetics and the pragmatics of it. And then you start to create an artistic career and people start to notice because your care makes other people care. Mm. The more you can care about your own creative process and all of the aspects of it, the more you can apply that consciousness to it, the deeper it will resonate with people. Mm. You seem very confident, self-assured. Do you, you still deal with um, like insecurities or imposter syndrome, especially with, you know, like making hive and doing all these things and controlling and doing so much at such a young age? I believe the comes from action. Mm -hmm. Confidence isn't a thought. It comes from you creating what you wanted to create, doing it successfully, and then doing that over and over again. Mm -hmm. And through that momentum, you build a natural confidence. All of the projects and the completions and the achievements that you have, they're in your aura. Mm -hmm. And you can rely on those. And because of the victory of those you start to trust yourself. But you have to start at the beginning. You have to start where you are. Mm -hmm. So if where you are is, I'm going to create a drawing today and I'm going to finish that drawing and then I'm gonna sell that drawing for $10 to my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And then you sell it and you finish it and you have that moment of victory. I did it. And so the next project you have that victory on your shoulders that gives you the trust to be able to make maybe a $50 drawing or maybe a painting. And then you make that and you continue in this momentum and eventually you're making an exhibition at MoMA, mm -hmm. let's say. This is the way that it works. It really, I don't believe in the affirmation aspect of it all of I am confident, I am confident. Mm -hmm. I think that that is helpful and we obviously have to talk to ourselves with the life that we want to live, but action and completion, that's really what 
makes you feel confident mm -hmm. in a true way, in a way that you can trust because you're the only one that has to trust it. Mm -hmm. you know, that's all that really matters is that you believe in yourself. Yeah. I've noticed um, something I tend to do is after like achieving the thing I wanted, working towards the goal, whatever, I kind of as soon as I have reached that point, I forget that it was work, that it did take time and effort and commitment. And I think, oh, that wasn't such a big deal. Like I did it. So clearly it was easy and just immediately discounting it. And I uh, was reading an Audre Lorde book this morning at work and she had a really nice quote about that. Um, let me see. Uh, she said, as soon as a challenge was overcome, it ceased to be a challenge, becoming the expected and ordinary rather than something I had achieved with difficulty and could therefore be justly proud of. I could not own my own triumphs nor give myself credit for them. I mean, this is also part of the journey yeah. is that you're never gonna be satisfied ever. <laughs> you will never be satisfied and you will never reach the top of the mountain but the joy is in climbing. The joy is not reaching the top. The joy is in climbing. So my advice would be just start another project. Just start another project and start climbing again. Because especially someone like you, you need to be stimulated quite a bit and you need a lot going on in your life. So just take that as a skill that you have and use it and be as creative as you can and take on the next project and just go for it. Whatever, if you complete it and it doesn't seem like a big thing, all right, maybe it's not a big thing. I mean, so you need the next thing that's even bigger. You know, this is the insatiable hunger of the artist. And it's important that we really indulge in that hunger and that drive and that ambition to create. Yeah, I really like the way you can reframe things. Something that I see as like a negative thing I do that I need to unlearn or it's wrong or bad about me that I do that and you say, oh no, that's that just means like you're really ambitious. You're a hard worker. You're excited about stuff. I think that's very powerful. I've recently realized the importance of narratives in your own life and the stories we tell ourselves. Exactly. It's strength-based learning. I mean, you take what someone is strong at and you take what you are strong at and you amplify it and you make that bigger. So much of our society right now is just so focused on our weaknesses. How are we supposed to get over the massive hurdles of challenge that we face right now if we are just constantly not only amplifying our own weaknesses but amplifying them in each other the constant conversation of i can't do this i mean the millennials are built upon a phrase which is i can't even i can't even <laughs> that's not going to help us we've really got to focus on our strengths that's how you grow is you focus on your strengths and that's what your attention does where your attention goes energy flows and where energy flows something gets bigger so what you place your attention on is what will get bigger and that's the beautiful and also terrifying ability of our mind mm -hmm. so that's the way the 
machine works. So if you know how to work the machine, then you can work the machine to your benefit. And ultimately, if it's working to your benefit, if you know how to work it to your benefit, then you can also help to use to work it to others benefit. And that's called prayer. It's mm -hmm. called prayer is when you use the machine of your mind in order to wish, hope and yearn for someone's good. What? And when you, when you yearn for someone else's good, it's returned back to you exponentially. Mm. Now, what made you um, decide to start Hive? I assume like a lot of stuff you're talking about, this urge to create, look inside yourself, bring that out to others. Exactly. Mm -hmm. What urged me to start Hive? What was it originally? Because it seems like it shifted over time. It has shifted over time. It was that I wanted to create with people that I found inspiring. Uh -huh. I wanted to get a little piece of their genius. I wanted to experience their worlds with them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create something magnificent that was more, that was made from more than just me. Mm. I think a thing that's like evident in a lot of dance world is the idea of a single uh, creative force it's their name on the company, they're the choreographer, and it's, you know, their thing. And it seems like you're not particularly beholden to that. Collaboration ah. is the only way to do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it is the fundamental principle of our reality is we are interdependent and we rely on each other. And we cannot do anything alone. Even just the desk that I am at was built by, not me, was uh -huh. built by, you know, where those trees were planted, how they were grown. There's so much, uh, this reality depends upon interdependence and it depends upon collaboration. So I really believe in collaboration. I do think that it's key towards our growth and development personally and um, collectively. That's what I think Hive is. Hive is a place for that collaboration. Now, I believe in leadership as well. Mm -hmm. And I believe in creative directing. And I do think that one person needs to sail the ship. But there are many people that are making that ship go. And um, so I am a fan of collaboration. But I am also a fan of the clarity of roles within that collaboration. And I'm a fan of clear communication between all those people that they understand their roles and that they're happy with their roles. And um, so yes, Hive is about creating collaborative projects, not always with me as the leader, but always about collaborative projects. Mm -hmm. I think that's 
wonderful. I think something I see is a big um, flaw or thing I want to like actually push against is the idea that you have to rule and lead creatively like with an iron fist with being very intense but potentially like emotionally abusive and just very controlling it, you are able to let that go and be nice to people and be open to bringing things in um yeah, yeah. and i i think it's something i see in you and myself and in like people around our age of our generation that we aren't interested in creating and all the old ways that have been happening for a long time. There's definitely a shift and there are a lot of cliches around leadership. And what I wanna make sure with our generation is that we don't just adopt to another cliche. Oh. Because an iron fist is incredibly powerful and there's a reason why it has been used and anyone who's a leader understands that. A lot of people talk about leadership, but they're not in a position of leadership. And so I'm just kind of like, girl, why don't you lead a project and then tell me about that? <laughs> so I think, you know, it's always both. It's always balance. It's always using um, a demanding and commanding masculine force and also a feminine and loving energy and having both by your side and not being scared of either. Um, both are extremely powerful. We have to embrace them if we want true, powerful, clean leadership. Mm -hmm. Finding that middle path. Mm -hmm. It seems like you and Hive have so many facets and wheels constantly turning that so what are all the current projects? What are some, what's on the burner right now? We're making a show or a film um, in Costa Rica with an organization called Community Carbon Trees and they've planted over half a million trees on the Costa Rican mm -hmm. border. And me and my friend Trayden, who's a cinematographer, editor and amazing genius collaborator are going down to Costa Rica to make a film. And we are going to premiere that film on Earth Day. And we're having a score done by Jonathan Myron and Philip Shegog, who are incredible violinists and cellists. And um, that will be uh, just phenomenal. It'll be like a 20-minute film. Um, that's one of the things I'm making a solo project called Letters to My Father. Mm -hmm. um, and that is more of a dance piece, um, a choreographed dance work um, using, you know, some materials, um, a, a suitcase and um, this, this kind of set. And hopefully that will get commissioned at some festivals where I can perform it on stage. And hopefully we can get to the point where that can happen. Because I do see that with lighting and with yeah. speed and all of that stuff. Um, so that's one of the projects I'm making and then that will um, premiere virtually uh, for a filmed version of it, which isn't ideal, but I do want to kind of share it with everyone and um, I have to film it anyways to submit it for some things. So that will premiere on March 20th. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's coming up pretty soon and then I'm building out um, coaching platforms right now uh, to make 
uh, group coaching available so that it can be cheaper and more people can participate in it. And um, I want to create a program in which, you know, we can focus on like wild authenticity one month and then like, you know, deliverables and pragmatics the next month and then, you know, materials and poetics the next month and kind of have these themes and really create a community that is centered around all of us finding our creative voice in an empowered and true way and stepping up to whatever our creative leadership potential is and then expanding that. And um, other things that are occurring, um, just more spiritual practice and other things on the burner, but we'll see. Uh, so as you're coming into all of these like hefty projects, um, what is, I guess, what's the starting point for things like that? Is it uh, just an idea? Um, the way you make eye contact with someone, you're like, oh, that's it. This is my starting point. Or like creative coaching, like there is a need, so I will meet it. Right. I mean, there's two different facets of what I do. Um, and, and there's two different facets of being an artist, which is you have to obviously be aware of, can this make money? Can this fit the festivals? Can this um, be shown places? Can, th can this be rep that can be bought? How is this making money? Who would want to buy it? Um, you know, what, where does this fit in the marketplace? Um, is there a need for it? Am I bringing something that is uh, authentic and, and niche? And then for coaching wise, yeah, is that, that's really, is there a need for it? target market who are you reaching do those people have money okay if they do then great but if they don't then where are you getting the money from you know all these types of things and then the other aspect of it is does this idea light me up does this yeah. idea make me feel like I would love doing that every day um does this idea feel genuine does it give me goosebumps when i think about it does it feel like it will be a profound experience for me and those that are a part of it and if it meets both criteria then it's a solid idea and yeah. i'll start going through with it yeah. um but not many ideas meet both criteria <laughs> I have a lot of what I think are great ideas and they don't, they, they don't meet one of the other criteria. And then there's other things that happen where you're just like, maybe this doesn't meet a criteria, but I have to do it. Yeah. And so then you just do it and you figure it out. And maybe it's more of a passion project or maybe some options come up where it's like, oh, actually this really would make sense in an indie film festival or whatever. And that there's one that has a deadline that's in a week, you know? I mean, these are types of situations that I run into too, but you don't always get lucky and you yeah. don't always have um, the ability to take those kinds of risks. It was really dependent on your situation. Um, if you are uh, living pay pay paycheck by paycheck and needing to pay rent, then you need to be very aware of the kinds of risks that you can take. Um, and you need to be very aware of how that project is going to then make you money. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm interested in stretching a dollar and making it a thousand or a million. That is a, a mindset that we as artists need to train ourselves to have um, because we don't innately. 
Um, and it's important in this new era, in this era of DIY and entrepreneurship, that we assume that responsibility for ourselves. Um, and I think that will create a much more powerful movement of art. Mm -hmm. You ever find yourself um, latching onto a project or an idea, starting it, realizing it just isn't working and then walking away? It depends. You cannot do that when you start to get other people involved and there mm -hmm. are collaborators and money. That yeah. is a very immature thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, if it is just me and it's a solo and I haven't gotten that deep into it and I haven't communicated to anyone, then maybe. Yeah. But I'm finding that those kinds of things are happening less and less. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm finding those, if it's a solo, like if it, if it doesn't involve other people, you know, then maybe I, I would just walk away from it. But I'm finding those things happening less and less um, mm -hmm. because I'm holding more and more responsibility. And I think that's a good sign. I think that oh. means that I'm evolving and I think we should look for that. And I do think we need to be a little bit hard on ourselves. of, am I, am I just leaving this because it's not a good idea or am I leaving this because I'm not believing in my capability to finish it mm. um, or I think that it should be joyous and I should never have to do work that I don't like. Uh -huh. You're going to need to do work that you don't like and it's not always going to be joyous and that is the reality of situations um, and this earth experience here. So, um, you know, it's all about that self-discernment. Mm -hmm. It seems like there are you have a ton of collaborators already within Hive. How did all these people come to you? Oh, uh, magic. <laughs> there we go. Moving on. <laughs> I have to go pretty soon. Yeah, no problem. Let's, let's, let's finish it out. Um, I like to end every episode with just a little art recommendation from you and any promotion you want yes art recommend for sure I actually just sent this to Aaron mm -hmm. um it's a duet called nature um mm -hmm. by Lotem Regev l-o-t-e-m-e-r-e-g-e-e-v and um he is a Israeli choreographer it's an incredible duet I highly recommend watching it and then any promotion, uh, follow me on Instagram at Nathan Hershow, H-I-R-S-C-H-A-U-T and at Hive Dance Company, or sorry, Creative Company, Hive Creative Company. And um, I hope we can connect wherever you are. And um, thank you for listening. And thank you, um, Anna, for holding this space and creating this platform and having this podcast. So awesome. Good to yeah. meet you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It was wonderful to meet you. Um, my little recommendation, I'm going to say this album I just started listening to. It's called Pony by the artist Orville Peck. And it's like deep and country, but in a way that I've never, it's the deepest I've resonated with country. And I said, oh, maybe this is for me. And it's, it's a stunning voice, great vowel placement. And it's just very exciting. <laughs>